Welcome to another episode of The Brand Called You, a podcast and podcast show that brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. I am your host, Ashutosh Garg, and today I'm delighted to welcome a very, very accomplished professional, especially in the sustainability and climate change space, Mr. Chandru Badri Narayanan from India. Chandru, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Chandru is... Uh, an ESG and climate change strategist. He's the managing partner of E-Cube Investment Advisors Private Limited. And he is the first person from India to be a member of the Global Policy and Reference Group of the UNPRI. So Chandru, let's talk about climate change. It's the topic that has uh, been in tremendous uh, attention over the years. And uh, now all world leaders are also talking about it. What are some of the challenges we face on climate change? Yeah, uh, thank you uh, once again, Ashtosh, for inviting me for this uh, great show. Uh, yeah, climate change is uh, a very hot topic, literally now across the globe. Correct. And, uh, you know, the seeds of climate change are not have been sowed very, very long ago. Mm. So it's not something, you know, which is actually very recent. Mm. Uh, because uh, it's closely linked to actually how uh, uh, energy demand goes up across the world. Mm. And that is again linked up to GDP growth. Right. Uh, but the worries about climate change have been maybe there uh, for the last 50 years or so. Uh, because statistically, you know, there have been a lot of uh, proof which has been coming up. Right. Uh, there are still actually the naysayers uh, around climate change. Uh, and that's one of the challenges I can say. Uh, mm -hmm. But it also actually, on the other hand, uh, uh, strengthens the resolve of those people who really want to mitigate uh, climate change. Uh, the major cha challenges, I would say, that uh, we face due to climate change are uh, poor air quality, extreme weather changes, uh, floods and flash floods, as mm -hmm. we are seeing very recently, landslides, uh, which has uh, not been very prevalent, you know, uh, even in India before, but now we are seeing it actually in many parts of the world, including India. Forest fires have caught uh, on, uh, you know, it's it's been actually raising a lot of forests to the ground. Droughts uh, have been increasing. Uh, seawater level rise, mm -hmm. uh, seawater uh, levels have been rising continuously, mm -hmm. and we can see that in many places happening. Correct. And uh, that's also due to glacier melting, mm. uh, which is actually happening uh, in the higher ranges, which is contributing to seawater level rise. And other things which people are not, at least in the equatorial region, are not very much conversant with that, but which is still a big dangerous permafrost melting. Mm. Permafrost by its very name means permanent frost. Correct. And that's happening in places like Siberia and the northern regions, which is leading to a lot of infrastructure damage. And uh, it is also releasing a lot of carbon into the atmosphere, which were all buried inside. Correct. So permafrost melting is not a small thing. So this is, these are, I would say, uh, major challenges, but these are all manifesting. Now the issue is how are they affecting people? Mm -hmm. So they all manifest in food scarcity, water scarcity, mm -hmm. energy scarcity, as we have actually recently seen, uh, all the energy crunch and everything which has been happening. Uh, then poor health, and uh, poor nutrition, uh, leading to slower economic growth. When this happens, it also leads to strife and war. Correct. Again, leading to human migration mm. and pandemics, as we have recently actually seen. And I can only say that COVID-19 was just a trailer for what is to come. If all of us, including me, you, everyone, mm. uh, 
are not involved in actually tackling climate change. Wow. Wow. That is a very, very serious kind of a situation we are faced with. But, you know, again, we are talking a lot about climate change, renewable energy, sustainable transport, air quality, clean energy, and so on and so forth. What will go into uh, achieving the goals that as uh, humanity we keep setting for ourselves and when we don't achieve them, we just move the, the target to the right? So uh, I would say that, you know, there are quite a few things, but the most important things which would go into achieving all this is, of course, one is building awareness. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are not even aware that, you know, how climate change affects our lives. Correct. Uh, that's because it's not, it's, it doesn't happen very suddenly, except when you see flash floods and all those kind of things. And then people forget about it. Or once it is, then, you know, it goes on as business as usual. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, there is actually a lot of activism which is happening. And uh, politicians are actually starting to listen to all these things, especially in places like Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, and probably we'll come to that much a uh, little bit later. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would say that, you know, the policies uh, are the ones which actually kind of are uh, guardrails mm -hmm. for actually, you know, implementing a lot of these policies regarding, you know, tackling climate change. Mm -hmm. And there has to be global consensus. So which is what all this COP meets are mm -hmm. all about. Mm -hmm. And uh, the important one was uh, the one where the Paris Accord was signed, uh, which actually sets, mm -hmm. says that the world has to actually, uh, you know, contain mm -hmm. the temperature, average temperature rise to not more than two degrees centigrade and preferably one and a half degrees centigrade right. over the industrialized levels. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do that, then, you know, we are in for very troubling times. So okay. the global consensus is something, you know, which is extremely important. And I'm, uh, I'm very positive that you know a lot of uh, at least you know the cop meets are bringing in you know, a lot of consensus may mm -hmm. not be completely sufficient but at least these are something you know which uh, uh, a lot of world leaders get into it and that's important fascinating so another aspect that i you know have noticed and while speaking to many people is that the pandemic uh, because everyone was shut up inside their own homes gave an opportunity for the planet to heal itself in several areas. What are your thoughts? They say mother nature can heal herself. No, no, definitely. Mother nature can heal itself, but also, you know, it requires uh, help from people also. So it yeah. can't, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that it is uh, yes and no. Mm. Uh, the healing happened to some extent when there were total shutdowns, mm. but then it is not sufficient. Uh, as most people get back to business as usual and uh, emissions actually start picking up and people keep forgetting, you know, why uh, in the first place the pandemic happened. Uh, what people have to realize is that this is mother's nature's way of balancing things for the greater good of the planet. And the COVID-19 was payback time, uh, you know, which uh, was actually happening. But uh, if you're not listening to what nature is telling us, then the payback will be greater next time. It's as simple as that. It is very similar to what uh, actually, you know, if I have to put it in financial parlance or economic parlance, mm -hmm. it is very similar to what central banks do. Mm -hmm. So they infuse liquidity when the economy is down. But if you do not taper, and I'm not saying that they should taper right now or anything like that, but if they do not taper at some point in time, the economy gets overheated and out of hand. Fascinating. So that's the analogy. Oh, you know, uh, it, I've also, you know, I've been observing climate change politics um over the years and i remember in the in the, in the late 80s early 90s 
the Prime Minister of Malaysia, uh, I think in Brazil, he had made a statement that how can you ask the, the developing countries to not deforest themselves when you have used up all your forests to enrich yourselves? Right. So is climate change uh, really a victim of politics in the world? Yeah, so I can say that, uh, you know, politics plays an important part. Mm -hmm. Definitely it plays an important part. But I think, you know, from the, uh, it, the, in fact, the narrative is changing and it can swing both ways. Mm -hmm. So climate change can be both a victim or a beneficiary of politics. Because, you know, politicians listen to what people say. And if the voices of people are higher, then they would swing like that. And, you know, in fact, I'll uh, uh, tell you, uh, we are seeing that happening very much in Europe. So the Green Party, it's been winning a lot of seats. Yeah. And uh, it's probably going to actually be one of the coalitions in the German, uh, you know, new German dispensation, mm. uh, governance dispensation. And they've been making a lot of inroads in uh, uh, the Northern Europe. Uh, also, you know, uh, it's, it's actually, it's swung a little bit the other way. Uh, today morning, I was reading in The Economist that uh, Macron, has uh, uh, declared $35 billion for decarbonization of the economy. Mm -hmm. And the opposition is accusing him of actually pandering it to actually, you know, uh, uh, the green lobby. Yeah, the, the green lobby and everything. Mm -hmm. So so it can it can actually swing both ways. So it is it is both actually a beneficiary as well as you know a victim. But it all depends upon you know what people are actually wanting politicians to do and how they are representing and you know how they are actually pushing that agenda. Very interesting. So uh, my next question to you, uh, Chandru, is that uh, how is India faring on climate change? From what I keep reading, India seems to be ahead of the Paris targets. Uh, okay, that's uh, I, I I'm I don't think that you know we are ahead of the Paris targets okay. on this one. Uh, I would say that uh, see if you there is a lot of action happening in India, and India has taken up you know climate change very seriously. Correct. And uh, so, uh, but you know, there's always this debate as to whether this is enough or not. So uh, you can never say it is enough, but what we have to actually see is how much progress is being done and how quickly this progress is happening. Mm. Now India's per capita emission is around 2.47 tons per annum mm. versus uh, 15, point, uh, 15 and a half uh, uh, tons uh, uh, you know, per capita in US and uh, you know, around six and a half tons per uh, uh, capita in China. While per capita emission is important, the overall emission of a country is even more important. Right. And there, you know, we are actually number three. Mm -hmm. That's because of the size of the population is high. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's not great news. Mm -hmm. But, and also as GDP, as the GDP grows, mm -hmm. the demand for energy will grow. And, you know, it is the uh, uh, endeavor of every country to ensure energy security mm -hmm. along with food security, water security, Correct. internal security and everything. Now that uh, is very important because then there is a, it is a kind of a balancing act which countries have to do because uh, you need to provide the energy, but at the same time, you know, you need to provide energy which is clean, which is not very costly because then that again affects uh, GDP and everything. So I think, you know, India has realized uh, and, you know, thanks to the government, you know, and uh, the other policymakers that, you know, it is very important for us to diversify away from fossil fuel. Mm. And, uh, you know, some of the things happen at super speed when the government really wants it. Uh, it's been just probably, you know, 18 months before nobody had heard about hydrogen mm. or, uh, you know, the other variants of, you know, hydrogen has many variants. You've got yes. blue, green, gray, mm. uh, all these things. But, uh, you know, you've seen that in uh, record time, 
uh, the government of India has come up with the green uh, hydrogen policy mm. and uh, industrials have actually are catching on to that. Mm. So uh, there are these kind of things which moves which are happening uh, because you know the India's current energy demand is around 880 million tons of oil equivalent. And uh, modern renewables is still a very small uh, you know, portion. And when I talk about the uh, energy demand, it is not just electricity. So it is electricity, transportation, everything put together. Sure. While in transportation renewables, I mean, while in uh, electricity, re the percentage of renewables is uh, high. But overall, uh, when you're talking about the energy demand, it's still uh, very less. You know, you still have almost coal, oil and natural gas. Uh, which is not, uh, again, a clean fuel, as a lot of people, even I used to think natural gas was a clean fuel, but uh, it is not. It takes around 75% of the basket. Mm. So that is there. And also on the renewable energy uh, itself, along with, I mean, you know, apart from uh, green hydrogen, mm. so you've got the solar and the wind and everything, you know, where the target set is around 450 gigawatt mm. uh, of renewable energy by 2030. We are currently at around 150 gigawatt. Okay. And I would not be surprised that, uh, you know, uh, in developed countries, there is also a lot of talk of, uh, you know, nuclear power, which is considered to be the cleanest power, but which also has its a little bit hazards right. in right. that. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, there is a possibility, I feel that, you know, even that uh, could actually come to India mm -hmm. in, uh, uh, you know, coming uh, years mm -hmm. as our energy demand actually increases. And it's one of the cleanest fuels mm -hmm. actually around. In fact, uh, Yesterday itself, uh, the uh, price of uranium sh shot up by around 12%. Okay. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that, that I've often uh, believed in and heard a lot of people say that climate change is an attitude as well. Yeah. My question to you, Chandru, is that what can you and I as average citizens do in our daily lives that can impact in our own small way a change in the climate or support the climate absolutely no great question uh Ashtush. yeah i think you know so this this doesn't require you know actually too many uh, complicated stuff for people mm -hmm. to do so uh it's to actually probably listen to podcasts like this mm -hmm. uh become part of climate change discussion groups right uh follow entrepreneurs entrepreneurs mining opportunities in climate change mm -hmm. and uh you know there's a huge opportunity in this mm -hmm. and people only look at the risk side of it Right. So there is a huge opportunity here and, you know, people can cotton on to all those actually opportunities and follow those entrepreneurs. Mm. Then raise these issues in WhatsApp groups. We raise so many issues. Mm. Why don't we actually raise these issues in WhatsApp groups mm. and forums as well as with politicians and political forums. Right. So once people start doing it, I think, you know, that will actually then, you know, kind of cascade mm. uh, and build momentum. Fascinating. And uh, you don't think, uh, I mean, you did mention raising issues in WhatsApp groups, but you know, I've often also seen that if you see a climate change violator and you shape, shame that individual publicly, awareness spreads very fast. Uh, yeah, you see, it depends upon how we are shaming that person. Mm. So it could actually, uh, uh, I think, you know, uh, there are different ways and these are behavioral uh, issues. Sure. I agree with you that, you know, you could actually do that. But it has to be done in a probably in a nicer way. Mm. Uh, otherwise, you know, people then, then, you know, actually... Yeah, you can uh, swing the other side. Yeah, swing the other side. Yeah, thanks. Very interesting. My next question to you is on the millennials and the Gen Zs who are now inheriting the earth. And I have a lot of faith that they will really make a big difference in a world, in a world that my generation seems to have messed up completely. 
based on all your work, how are the young people reacting to climate change? Yeah, see, overall, I would say that across the world, uh, and uh, probably thanks to icons like Greta Thunberg, uh, who has set a very different standard altogether mm -hmm. of a young girl actually taking on, you know, in the mightiest politicians on climate change. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, those kind of examples are the ones which are firing up millennials. Mm -hmm. And definitely, I would say that the awareness and the uh, uh, urge to do more about climate change, like things like avoiding plastics and going for local food, all those kind of things are something like that, you know, which uh, uh, millennials are more aware. And, uh, you know, because they also realize because uh, they have more, much more time uh, in the planet to live than, you know, uh, people of uh, your generation, I mean, our generation, you know, right. Right. so you would be almost of the same generation. Okay. So uh, let's move on to the next part of our conversation, which is on ESG. There is a lot of conversation on ESG in corporate boardrooms. Why is you know, this being done? Is it because of social and government pressures or is it because of increased awareness? Uh, okay. So I would say that you know, one thing which has actually stood out uh, is the outperformance of uh, ESG funds. Mm -hmm vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, you know, the other category of actually funds. Mm -hmm. uh, so across the world, we have seen this. And, you know, I've seen it from my earliest stint in MSCI when I was a country head of India. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, this is something, you know, which we have seen very often that the other uh, ESG indexes outperform. And it is not something uh, which is a recent phenomenon across uh, 10, 12 years. And mm -hmm. especially after 2008, mm -hmm. uh, this has actually been happening. So what it means is what it's telling us is that, you know, investors, and these are very large investors having trillions and trillions of dollars, right? They are worried about actually ESG. Mm. And, you know, when money starts getting that kind of money starts getting worried. Mm. So people do actually stand up and take notice. Right. So that's, that's one, 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 uh, uh, a bigger, uh, I would say catalyst, uh, which then, you know, actually leads to other things. So it leads to then, you know, other policies coming up. Mm. Uh, so many other things actually happening. So it leads to that. But I would say the main reason is about actually all, all large investors. Mm. And they have their own uh, reasons for worrying. And, uh, you know, one of the things which people probably are not aware is uh, most of these large investors in uh, developed countries, they are worried about human migration mm -hmm. because of climate change. So, and, uh, you know, they cannot then support those pensions and everything when there is so much of migration actually happening right. in their countries. And right. so these actually have a kind of interconnected, uh, you know, reasons mm. as to why all these things are happening. Very interesting. And uh, a question to uh, challenge you a little bit is that does an ambitious GDP growth target contradict a strong ESG strategy? Definitely not. Okay. Definitely not. Uh, there could be short-term pain. Mm -hmm. But if we do not take action now, the pain will be permanent. Okay. So this is very similar to actually, you know, what people face, mm -hmm. uh, uh, you know, in their uh, individual lives also. So if you're only actually running after money, 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 that's mm -hmm. like GDP growth, mm -hmm. and you neglect all, all other things, your mind, body, spirit, and everything, uh, the money is not going to be of any use mm -hmm. and your body is going to actually go waste. Mm -hmm. So uh, I wouldn't say that, you know, an ambitious GDP plan would contradict our ESG strategy. Okay. Uh, yeah, but maybe in the short term, uh, we might actually have pains, but uh, 
again, uh, so it is for governments, if they think that they're going to be there for 10, 15 years. Mm -hmm. uh, so then, you know, they would actually go uh, behind and, you know, make those changes. So which is what you're probably seeing. Fascinating. And that gives me the segue to the next question, which is what is your assessment of short-term and long-term uh, impact of ESG? Yeah, I think, you know, uh, yeah, I just actually mentioned about uh, the short-term uh, yes, pain, mm -hmm. uh, you know, which will happen, but it happens in different degrees. Mm -hmm. If you're talking about a corporate, you know, it'll be different. If you're talking about a country, it'll be different. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're talking about the globe, it is actually different. So the time frames are actually different. Now, the issue which happens with corporates is this quarter-to-quarter -quarter, quarter reporting. Mm -hmm. uh, which then, you know, uh, actually kind of people think that, you know, since we are doing quarter to quarter reporting, and if we set aside certain things for actually doing uh, uh, work on ESG, mm -hmm. then it might affect. But there are a lot of things which don't really require spending money. So your diversity and inclusion policy doesn't require money. Uh, you know, how do you, how is your board actually constituted? Mm -hmm. Doesn't require any extra money. So sure. you have to actually, there are many things which really don't, your governance, your social policies, they don't. And as far as the E part of ESG is concerned, it also has a payback. In mm -hmm. fact, you know, there is a lot of uh, things, you know, it actually pays back very quickly. So you could actually recycle energy uh, in your processes. Mm -hmm. You could save energy. So there are a lot of things, you know, which people can do. But uh, more than that, you know, it also brings in opportunities which can people can harness. So it has its, uh, it all depends upon, you know, how you are actually able to understand and leverage that. Fascinating. And my last question to you now, uh, and I'm going to come back to uh, your being on the, on, on, you know, uh, a member of the UNPRI. For our viewers and listeners, tell us about UNPRI and your role in it. Yeah, thank you. So UNPRI basically, uh, it's called as PRI now, uh, but it was constituted by United Nations. Uh, and its uh, role is basically to actually bring together uh, different, uh, uh, you know, asset owners and asset managers. Uh, basically in the financial services industry mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, to actually talk about policies mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, give a guidance uh, to actually most of the uh, countries and, uh, uh, you know, uh, corporates and asset owners and asset managers to enhance ESG implementation across the globe. Okay. So that's the broader, uh, you know, uh, I would say it has many committees. One of the key committees is uh, the Global Policy and Reference Group. Of which uh, you know I've uh, become a uh, recently become a member, and uh, you know uh, we have just been having a quarterly calls, and this is about actually you know kind of a osmosis process mm -hmm. of understanding you know for uh, people from every country who are involved in policy making, mm -hmm. so what's happening on the other side. So you've got actually things like taxonomy, uh, SFDR, so many other policies. There is something called as you know uh, Fit for Fifty Five on mm -hmm. the carbon carbon border adjustment tax. Mm -hmm which is happening in Europe, which actually has got all of these things have got reverberations across the world. Mm. So uh, how do Indian companies actually then uh, get affected by this and what actions they need to take? So these are the kind of things, you know, your understandings and other things you will, uh, you know, tend to get. Mm. And we tend to discuss all these things in these forums. Wonderful. Chandru, we've come to the end of our conversation. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you for telling me so many amazing things on climate change, on ESG, and congratulations on your appointment as a key member from India on the UNPRI committees. Thank you and good luck. Thank you. Thank you, Astosh. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom 
of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Just search for the brand called Youth.